Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Brownie Points. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. And this is the podcast where a guy with a film degree. And a guy who actually, for real this time, did figure out how to use his ca- uh, microphone properly. <laughs> Talk to you about movies. This week, we saw two movies in theaters. The first one being the very recent Golden Globe winner for Best Feature Drama, 1917. And then we went and saw the film Just Mercy, a legal drama that actually made Brie Larson kind of tolerable. And then we hop into the time machine to 2005, and we watched the romantic comedy from the Fairley Brothers, Fever Pitch. All of that, plus our picks for the worst films of 2019 on this week's episode of Brownie Points. Double Fudge Edition. Alright everybody, welcome to the show. As always, as longtime listeners know, Nick and I never jump right into the film reviews. We like to start the show with a segment that we call Brownie Bites. This week, in conjunction with what we did last week, we are recapping our favorite and least favorite films of 2019. Last week was our favorite, this week our least favorite. These are the top 10 worst films of 2019, according to us. And we're always right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm going to start off our list. Uh, So my number 10 to kick off this list is the Will Smith versus Will Smith sci-fi film Gemini Man. That is kicking off my list. I... Man, this movie. I've, Sucks. I've, what? Sorry. Sucks. Yeah. Oh my god, this movie sucks. It. It has the legendary Ang Lee behind the camera, and his boundary pushing quote unquote technology behind it. The 4K, the 120 frames a second film film rate. I just. Uh, it's also got uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Clive Owen, and it's got a, not honestly that bad of a story, but it's it's executed so poorly. I'm not a fan of any of the acting in this film. I know you were on record saying that you liked some of the acting in it, but I was okay with some of the acting in it. The f- like like if if you okay if you hated the acting in the movie. I thought some of it was passable. Yeah, I, I'm not even giving it passable. I just – I thought this film, honestly – I, I, I want to give Ang Lee credit for trying to push boundaries with the tech itself. But even then, like we discussed in the review, it just – it doesn't really work that well either. Like on top of already having mediocre execution of the story, really, really bad acting – and, I mean, not that great action on top of that. Like, just everything about this movie just absolutely doesn't work. And I, I don't find a more appropriate film to kick off our worst of the year list. Just Gemini Man had a lot going for it, and it completely missed the mark. Uh, uh, it, it had a it lot sucks. going. I don't really know if it was going for it, but there's a lot of stuff going in the movie. 
Yeah, it's I mean, I maybe just action junkies that just love action films in general will like it, but when you read into it and think about it and kind of just generally pay attention to the movie, I Gemini Man's not good in any way, shape or form. So, um <laughs> That, I mean, that's my in – in a nutshell, that's my number 10. Uh, what is your number 10? My number 10 is Crawl. Uh, <laughs> a, a segment where basically we just do a commentary on the film. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much because we talked, ab- we talked about it for as long as the runtime. <laughs> this movie was so dumb, and I remember when it, when it came out, I kept hearing reviews where people were talking about it's – that it was good because it was like, oh, it acknowledges it's a dumb B movie, and I was like, I don't think it does. I think you're just saying that because of Sam Raimi's name being attached to it. Uh, I thought the CGI was terrible. I thought the decisions made by uh, the main character were some of the dumbest I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, I found a lot of the uh, uh, like, I don't know how to word it. A lot of the, like, background sets, wildly distracting. Um, oh, the, the, fact the, that blend they... of, uh, the blend of CGI and um, actual sets, you didn't find that blending yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, like, it, it's pretty bad. I could tell it was a soundstage. Um, the, uh, just, like, it, it, it's so stupid and it just they keep making dumb decisions not only the characters but just like the movie itself like when uh she grabs the gun from the dead cop and then the one alligator bites her arm i was like her arm would snap in half she wouldn't be able to pull the trigger to fire a gun right i i, I agree what's it's, funny it's... is i honestly have a hard time remembering if i found this movie entertainingly bad or if i just found it bad i can't remember i actually re-listened to the review of it uh last week to see if i i found it like enjoyably bad and i honestly couldn't get a read off of it i well i will give a resounding no i thought the movie was just outright bad like contrary to popular belief I'll, it, this movie's got a positive rating on rotten tomatoes for some Listen, reason <laughs> listeners we are in agreement this movie is pretty bad it I, I texted you off mike this movie literally was number 10 on my list until my number one came along and it just kicked crawl <laughs> off the list so yeah. i was a we were about to start this segment with both of us just complaining about crawl but yeah yeah <laughs> it was uh it was gonna be pretty interesting and then dan's like no actually it's it's a uh, gemini man yeah, um, I mean, do you have any other thoughts on Crawl or? Uh, I I want to rewatch it specifically, like in a room with you, just so <laughs> we can like just uh, MSTK three thousand the the daylights out of it. Specifically with you, I would be down for that. I don't yeah. ever want to watch this movie. I don't ever want to watch Crawl again without you. Like, I just I'm okay. Don't wanna close my eyes. all right fun fact i hate aerosmith uh okay we can (laughs) there okay sorry i'm not gonna go on that road um (laughs) you learned that lesson in high school didn't you there's there's um a couple songs i really 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 like by them 
But um, no, I, uh, never mind. It's a really long, un- unimportant story. Okay, well, let's stay focused. Uh, my number nine film. Uh, whoop! My phone blacked out. Uh, here we go. My number nine is the David Harbor remake of Hellboy. I. <laughs> you want to know something funny? What? I. This movie just went on HBO Go uh, a couple weeks ago, and I wanted to rewatch this movie. And on purpose? Yes, and I I honestly gave up on it about 15 minutes into the movie. <laughs> so when there's enough dialogue, enough exposition dialogue to fill 45 minutes of a regular movie, you're like, that's it, I'm done. Oh my god, I I got to the end of the fight in the in the ring in Mexico. Or no, it was while David Harbour was talking to Ian McShane uh while he's shaving his horns and I gave up. I I could not watch any more of the movie after that. <laughs> so, fun fact, this barely missed my list. Uh oh, no I don't kidding. remember I don't remember what movie it was, but I actually took Hellboy off because I decided to add a different movie. Yeah, honestly, Crawl might have kicked it off. Uh, oh, that's because funny. I, I could at least see, like, a good trilogy out of this one movie that they just crammed into one. But Crawl, I saw almost nothing redeemable of it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's why it missed my list. But, yeah, this hellboy was hell to sit through oh hellboy boy was it hell to sit through that should be on the poster oh yeah oh for sure hellboy is horrible i i remember the only redeemable thing that i could say about it is that put on put on the blu-ray hellboy boy was it hell to sit through and hellboy hell no The only redeemable thing I could say about it is that, like, honestly, when I see a movie that advertises that it is violent and, like, yes, this movie is all about the violence, like, sure, it delivered on the violence, but, oh, my God, nobody shut up during this movie. This is all exposition. None of the acting is I that good. I lost communication good. with him. Yeah, I know. You guys are best friends. He's your beer drinking buddy, but I'm worried about him because he's an agent. Yeah, but he's your friend. You go drinking with him every Wednesday night at the bar on on uh, 1st and 7th Street. Yeah, but I think I found him here. Yes, and if you find him there, he's probably fighting in this illegal fighting ring called the Blit Blit Blit. Jesus Christ, will you just let stuff like visually tell me what's happening? Yes, exactly. Show, don't tell. Yes, you showed a lot of gore that you promised, and yeah, you delivered on it, but... The rest of this but you movie didn't was promise all this story. Yeah, the rest of the movie is just tell, 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 tell. Just good God, shut the hell up! I <laughs> Hellboy, boy, was it hell to sit through? Hellboy, hell no. Hellboy, shut the hell up. That should just be all the quotes on the Blu-ray disc box thing. Yeah, I just it was it was also nonsensical what the story was. Uh, kind of like what I said with Gemini Man. A lot of talent behind the camera, and yes, I subsequently read a lot about how studio interference went into this film, but the fact that any studio exec watched this movie and thought, yeah, we can make some money on it, you deserved who's, who's, all the uh, lot. Who's the guy that tackled the Saints wide receiver last year in the NFC Championship? Oh, Marcus Lattimore. 
Yeah, the studio interfered more with this movie than Marcus Lattimore did on that play. Yeah, I just... Uh, it's such a chore to sit through this movie. I Maybe you'll get some aesthetic thrills from this, like... I, if you can ignore the story and the endless exposition, like, sure, the movie looks good, but there's literally nothing else going for this movie. The acting is really bad. The screenplay is terrible. It, it's just so padded and it feels so long. If you're not an absolute gore fiend, you should not watch this movie. Hellboy is, uh, Hellboy is, uh, like I said, a chore <laughs> to sit through. Dan had to edit himself there. For those of you... <laughs> For those of you that are listening, which is everybody, Dan started to say an F word, and then he's like, oh yeah, we have a rating. <laughs> yeah, yes, sorry, this movie, I, this, uh, sorry if there's going to be a lot of, show. there's going to be a lot of edits in this, because these movies all make me very angry from Hellboy on. Um. <laughs> Two of them made Dan violently ill. Yes. It's like he walked um, in a Kmart and he just saw the floor and he's like, man. <laughs> Sorry, that just made me laugh so hard my tablet fell. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't heard me say that since high school. Oh my god, nope. Um. <laughs> okay, Nick, what's your... <laughs> here we go, let's just keep going. What's your number nine? <laughs> There's a reason I was really quiet on your number ten. It's because it's my number nine, Gemini Man. This was so stupid and boring to sit through like if you're gonna make a movie that's visually stunning and that's all it really offers make it an hour and 30 minutes so that way i can at least be like you know what it it was boring but it wasn't overly long uh this movie offers absolutely nothing to the world um other than hey look at the tech demo for these cameras we have that frankly don't need to be shown off uh, I repeatedly said in the review, if I wanted a tech demo for how good visuals could be, I'd go to Best Buy. And after watching this movie and just thinking about it again, I don't have an urge to go to Best Buy, so I don't want to watch this movie again. Well, you didn't even see this movie in the um, – you saw this movie in just a completely regular 2D, 24 frames per second. Like I, I, I saw this yeah, movie – Yeah, like a normal human. I saw this movie, I was lucky enough to see it in uh, not the full frames per second. I had to see it in 120 frames per second and 3D, even though literally no human on Earth could see this movie in the frame rate they shot it in, because he shot it um, – or no, I saw it in 60 frames, I'm sorry. He shot it in 120. I had to see it in 60 because literally no theater on Earth – has 120 frames per second capability, but I still saw it in 4K and 3D, and but just the slower frame rate. But I agree with you. The fact that, one, we can't see this movie in the way that you wanted people to see it in general, on top of the fact that, yeah, the acting that's sucks. That's not being brilliant. That's being an artistic douche. Well, he My wants... My vision's to... so complex, people can't even see the way I want it. I can see it's boring, I don't think well, if I, I saw, don't... like, an eight times more detail, would the story pick up? I don't think that... Unless there's, like, some, like, sub-story of, like, dust mites and lice traveling in people's hair and on their jackets where they're trying to overthrow some evil goblin 
and they have to uh, charge to the toilet where there's a where there's a giant battle, and then and then if they lose, they get flushed down the toilet. But they also have to flush down the evil sword of Antioch down the toilet. Like maybe if I could see that on their jacket and then their hair, that detail, maybe the movie would be interesting because that's not the movie we got. But dude, like I saw nothing that was interesting. Yeah, that's. I don't understand what Ang Lee saw in the script, but I understand where he's coming from because his last movie that was also bad, but he wants to push the boundary of technology. I understand that aspect of Ang, like wanting to try and take filmmaking itself as an art form into new areas, but dude, you have to work with better screenwriters. Because Gemini Man is very, very or, boring. Or just apply to work for the companies that make these cameras. Just, yeah, just be a, a consultant. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like I said in the review, Ang Lee has made some of my favorite films. Life of Pi was one of the best films I've ever seen. But, God... Uh, the long halftime, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, and Gemini Man are both hot garbage. Gemini Man is this boring? Hey, dude, you have to see Billy Lynn's halftime walk now, just because you've sat I through this. Like, I know you don't want to, but you have to. If I have to pick it for a time machine, you have to sit through that movie so you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, like, you're gonna have to pick it for a time machine for that to happen. <laughs> what's uh, what's your number eight? Uh, my number eight is um, a movie that, uh, like in our last list, uh, a movie I saw without you, and man, I you do not want to watch this movie. It is the adaptation of the Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Goldfinch. I I remember <laughs> I remember texting you after I got out of this movie, and I said, "Dude, The Goldfinch sucks." And you text me back, okay, well, I'm glad I didn't go to this one theater to see it, so you can yeah, take the bullet I, for I this. I think it was like I was going to have to go way out of my way to see the movie, but I was actually really intrigued by what I thought the story could be, and then it turns out my imagination is more imaginative than the director's. Yeah. You know, the guy who's paid to be imaginative. Yeah, this movie just... I don't... It... I can surmise it with this. There is a very distinct difference in medium between art forms. A painting, a novel, a film, and a song all work and inside their own realms of rules and, I mean, not reality, but every single piece of art form has to be constrained and work within specific constraints that come within their medium. And trying to adapt, let's say, a novel, a memoir, or any type of literature can read really well on the page because of what it takes to be a writer. A writer has to paint something with strictly words. You can do that in a way that a film can't because a film has to have so many other factors that go into it, like – um it's it's all a visual medium. The brain allows you to turn words into visuals in your own head. A film is just presenting you with visuals and, again, many other factors to tell a story. 
and it's so much more layered and more complex than most people think about. Um, when all those things don't come into alignment versus just a writer that has to be a good wordsmith, you get a movie like The Goldfinch where it's taking a book that is presumably – I haven't read it, full disclosure. It's all it's, – it, it's a dense psychological explanation and dive into – a child psyche that's going through a post-traumatic uh, – going through post-traumatic stress disorder from a really traumatic event but also simultaneously jumping back into the past of the immediate aftermath. It – man, it just didn't work. It is a slog to th- sit through the goldfinch. You have a lot of great actors. I mean I did think two actors in particular, Luke Wilson and um, – Jeffrey Wright did have great performances in the film, but it didn't excuse just how long this movie was and how slow it is. And I didn't really care about this kid that much. It's just it, – it's really something to behold. Like you kind of have to watch it to really understand it because I don't want to spoil anything in this. But I said it in the review before. This movie just was an enormous swing and a miss, and it came from something that was so prestigious, but it's not the first time that we've seen something that worked very well in another medium before just completely miss the mark on film and just... Cats. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Cats. Um, (laughs) We might be talking about that film later on. Spoiler. I can guarantee Um, you we are. (laughs) But yeah, I just – yeah, I've already talked about it before. There's nothing else I really have to say about it. Just The Goldfinch not only was one of the biggest disappointments of the year, it's it still stands out to me as one of the worst films of the year. Just it, don't watch it if you don't have to. <laughs> All right, my number eight is uh, Black and Blue. Um... Okay, I'm not surprised this made your list. Um <laughs> <laughs> Man, it was a really forced and stupid story. Uh, I mean, I, I get it. Police corruption's out there and all that stuff. This is the, like, laziest, tropey movie I've ever seen uh, for this, like, like, betrayed cop that's betrayed by the cops genre. Um, it, it's so lazy. It It really is, like... It's like a coloring book that's paint-by-numbers that you can get done in, like, 15 minutes, but you're told to take an hour and 25 minutes for no reason. Um, yeah, this was so boring. It, it lent nothing. I didn't think any of the acting performances were all that good, other than, like, the one main drug dealer guy was really scary. Um, I thought he was going to, like, literally bite a guy's head off at some point. Uh, also I was like, Hey, is that Rick Ross? Uh, did he lose weight? Um, where's this purple Lamborghini? Uh, (laughs) and then is, is he hustling every day? Uh, I'm running out of Rick Ross things I know, but, uh, yeah, I, I, the one thing I will say, I liked, uh, the setting. I did like that it was in new Orleans. I don't know if there's a tax break there or what, but I actually really liked the setting. I thought it was, uh, pretty neat. Other than that, I have nothing to compliment this movie for. Uh, it's I don't remember hardly any of it. 
Uh, I don't remember when this came out. I think it was like late summer, early fall. I remember absolutely nothing about this movie. Uh, so yeah, that's why it's my number eight. It's, it, I remember really not liking it. I can't give you specifics of it anymore cause I completely forgot it, but yeah, this movie was stupid. I remember you not wanting to watch this movie at all. You were complaining <laughs> for so long for the lead up to this movie. Like, <laughs> did we only get the trailer for the, I, I think I only got the trailer for this like twice. I don't remember. I mean, I got, I, was, it so, I got it so few times. When you told me it was coming out, I I actually went, uh, really? Are you sure it's not in a month? I I mean, I I kind of remember those conversations, but I remember whenever I brought it up, you were just not looking forward to it at all. I actively tried um, to get out of seeing it. Yeah, and I I didn't dislike the movie obviously clearly as much as you did it's not on my list at all but um i do agree it's very boring and very forgettable overall but i didn't think it was that bad it's just as hell it's just it's just forgettable it's melodramatic and it's just forgettable even though naomi harris had a i thought naomi harris had a good performance in it but um but yeah um my number seven film uh was on top of your list for a long time. Uh, it is Captive State. <laughs> this was one of the first films that we watched for the show. And I, I'm, i like you said with Black and Blue, I'm having a lot of trouble remembering a lot of specifics, let's say, with the film. But So last last weekend, my, uh, my brother-in-law uh, was in town uh, and – he was asking me about like what I thought the worst movie of the year was. And I told him uh, like some of the ones that I had and I was, I mentioned captive state and he asked what happened in it. And I was like, I'm going to tell you what I think happened in it because I don't even fully understand what happened in it when I, when I saw it live. And it's also been like nine months and I don't remember anything about this movie. And so like I pieced together what I thought the story was. Yeah. I, I remember just, the best I can remember was I was so bored sitting through it. I didn't like anybody's performance. I didn't think the story was remotely interesting, given the fact that it has an interesting setting like a post-alien invasion America and these underground uh, uh, rebels yeah, trying it's, it's to take them down. Post-alien invasion apocalypse America in Chicago. Like, dude – We've seen Chicago be destroyed a million times. Why don't you do, like, Spokane, Washington or something? Well, no, I don't think Chicago's a bad setting for it, but, like, it doesn't do anything remotely interesting with it. None of the character development is interesting. It has ar- arguably the most obvious twist ending coming of all uh, of the year. Like It's so obvious it's not even a twist. Oh, yeah, no, it is incredibly obvious where the film is wanting to go. Like, I don't know if they just, in the editing process, forgot to try and hide it any better, but, man, it was not hey, a surprise post, at all the way this film like ended. tried harder. No, okay. Yeah, and, like, I again, it's a common trend. Uh, a lot of talent for virtually no payoff. Um, uh, Vera Firminga just gets wasted in this film john goodman i feel really bad that he's in this film um i don't remember the kid's name but he was the teenager in moonlight uh he's wasted in this too just 
I, there was the potential for this to be a really interesting sci-fi film to maybe even start like a an interesting well, saga, at least but tolerable. Yeah, but it just it completely just whiffs it at just not a good film at all. And the fact that it stuck with me this long, even though I don't remember a lot of necessarily specifics of it, like I mean, I don't want to do that right now, but um, but yeah, nope. Captive State at least stuck with me long enough to be on my worst of the year list. That's my uh, number seven. <laughs> my number seven <clears throat> is what is hopefully the end of a franchise that I love. Uh, Terminator Dark Fate. Please just let this die like what you did to John Connor. Let this franchise just die. There's nowhere else to go with it. <clears throat> Two movies was enough. And you, you've tried, what is it, three times now to have a third? It doesn't work. Stop trying. Just let it die. You're, uh, this movie um, <clears throat> this movie doesn't even know how to like do the Terminator right. Like, all of a sudden, Arnold is into like fabrics, and he's like, yeah, I, uh, I help people with getting their like, drapes and... This one guy, he was like, "Well, it's a room for my daughter," and he wanted to put, uh, he wanted to put up solid turquoise, and I was like, "No, you gotta put up the cupcake ones. Cupcake ones are where it's at." And I was like, "Is he gonna ask for someone's clothes, their boots, and their motorcycle? What are we doing?" Um, <laughs> this this movie, I I got into it ten minutes late because uh that it came out during a very busy time for work, and I was working a bunch of overtime. So I got to the theater late, but and I missed the first ten minutes. And I remember thinking, I don't really think I'm going to miss all that much. And boy, howdy, did I apparently miss a lot. But the thing is, I don't know. I missed a lot for about you know a third, two thirds of the movie. Like, yeah, you. <laughs> the fact that you came in late to this specific movie was the worst movie that you could have come in late to. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I got Child's Play when I showed up late to that one, but, uh, yeah, it, yeah, I, I hated, I was so bored in this movie, um, the action, like, was really uninspired and lazy, and the more, the more I think about the movie, the more I'm just like, it, it feels like they did something where they put all those people through the motions, and then they were, got done, and they're like, what does everyone think, and we're like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah, I I read a lot about there was a lot of uh a lot of editing nonsense that went on with um James Cameron and Tim Miller with what the final cut of it should be and um I mean, I don't have much else to add to it. I agree with everything that you're saying. It didn't make my top 10, but um nope, I didn't enjoy seeing through that film either. Um <laughs> Um, so I was excited. I, I was working so much. I was excited to be off work. <laughs> I was like, hooray work. And I went to this and I was like, this is terrible. Let me go back to work. At least I'm earning money. <laughs> <laughs> A ringing endorsement. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, <laughs> my number six is once again, another massive disappointment. Uh, it is arguably the worst film on Richard Linklater's resume, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? I found this movie 
exceptionally painful to sit through. Kind of like what I was saying with the Goldfinch. Um, it's very, very different when you're reading a book versus trying to watch a movie or make a movie out of it. They're very different mediums. A wordsmith requires a different talent than a fam- filmmaker does, and um, where'd you go, Bernadette? Just doesn't work. Really, I've since I've since I've seen it. It's just the tone of the film doesn't work at all. This movie yeah. does not have a consistent tone for what kind it, of it movie does, it wants it to be. It doesn't have a consistent tone, and many of the tones that it chooses are really like bitter and mean and like antagonistic towards the like the main characters. Well, the movie doesn't know if this wants to be a drama or a comedy, like an ironic comedy or a dark comedy or just a straightforward drama. This movie wants to kind of blend it all together and like the fact that it's about involving high stakes identity theft like yeah and like i I, it doesn't really let me get to understand bernadette that well like kate blanchett is clearly giving it her all with this and everybody's clearly very concerned about her but again like sometimes the movie wants me to laugh sometimes the movie wants me to feel bad for her sometimes the movie wants to be scared like and it just it doesn't blend well in any way and it's just it makes it a slog to sit through and like one of the most interesting things in the movie they spend so little time on is like her trauma of when that guy bought her house and then tore it down to make a parking lot yeah that was the most interested i was in the movie and like yes it makes sense that she's got this lack of fulfillment in her life and she wants to go on this enormous expedition to Antarctica because of it, but, like, the fact that, like, the first half of the film is just, like, this weird kind of family drama where, oh, Bernadette's just kind of a jerk, and then it devolves into, like, oh, she's suffering from kind of this trauma of just, like, her life just falling apart, and she just feels this lack of fulfillment, and then it turns into Catch Me If You Can, like... yeah. It's such a jar. It, and also, also the person that they play up as like, oh, she's gonna be her best friend in the trailer. Turns out it's her biggest enemy. Yeah, the trailers really it's, didn't. It, it's so unnecessary. It's kind of I, I I tried to again watch this film objectively, but it was kind of hard to when the trailers were selling me a completely different movie. Like, I that's kind of I, again. It's like, like if in a magazine they're like, hey, you should buy our cookbook because it's got great chocolate cake recipes and then they send it to you and it's all about frying chicken yeah this movie the trailers didn't give this movie it was it was hard for me to not have that into consideration as well just because it was so jarring um yeah but i it's on my list mainly because i love richard linklater i love virtually his entire resume but he just Oh, man, he really messed up with this movie. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Had, again, like a lot of these movies on my list, a lot of promise that just way, way, way missed the mark. So I, that's that's my number six. So so this does not make my list, but it was on several of my other of the year lists, including uh, most uh, disappointing movies and biggest surprise of the year. Uh, but yeah, it... I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you, but I also was like, 
I think I was I think I was equally let down as you in some areas, but some areas I wasn't as let down. But yeah, that movie sucked. Uh, my number six is uh, a sequel to a movie that I saw the week before it came out, and it wasn't a time machine. Uh, I went out of my way to watch it. Forty-seven meters down, uncaged. The stupidest <laughs> decision tree movie I've ever seen. I these this... these ladies are complete idiots. Well, actually, one specifically is. Uh, and frankly, if they just would have killed her in the beginning, they probably would have been okay. I yeah I I didn't add this on my list just because. I was objectively scared during some of it, and at the end of the day, it's it's it was hard for me to say it was a – I mean, yes, it's a bad movie, but I didn't add this on my list because I did get scared here and there, and I honestly – I did forget about it for the most part. Like, sure, like maybe every now and then, like if someone mentions the ocean, like images in this movie come to my head, but – I didn't know you hated this movie more than I did because this is this wouldn't even be so on my honorable mention list. And loud and clangy and full of bangs and just ridiculous screaming. That fish screams. How does a fish scream? Uh, yes, I. Okay, sorry. It's it's hard for me to judge this movie objectively again, given my fear of the ocean. But I will say that the one scene I will defend in this movie is when they knock over one of those statues and the entire area that they're in is completely filled with dust. Yeah, that worked. I'm not saying that didn't work. Pretty much nothing else did. To me, to me to sum up this movie is they do stuff that they think is scary, but it's not because they're just lazy and clumsy. They don't pay attention to the details. And the scene that epitomizes that is the ending where they're going towards the uh, shark viewing boat that's chumming the water. And they swim up and they, like, bang on the glass bottom of the boat, and then they're, like, signal, like, hey, we're going up, come help us. And so they start swimming up, and then they're now, instead of being right up on the boat, they're, like, 15 to 20 feet away. It's like, why why would they swim backward while swimming up that much? Yeah, I, I agree. There's a lot of dumb little moments like that, but I, I just... Also... And all the reviews of this movie I've heard, I'm the only person to point that out. I I, I think you're the only person that was that... Paying def- attention by the end of the movie? Well, no, that separated from what was going on with the movie to actually think of something like that. Like, <laughs> a good movie... That's because I keeps, wasn't invested. <laughs> yeah, a good movie keeps you away from little nuances like that. Kind of like how Harrison Ford said, hey, kid... If anybody notices that your hair is dry after we were just soaked in the garbage disposal, then we made a bad movie. Yeah, we've got a bigger problem. Yeah, I I definitely didn't think about things like that. Like I just again for me personally, like it, yes, it, it forty seven meters down two is a terrible movie, but I just I kept it off my list because I just was genuinely scared here and there, even though, yes, the dialogue is laughably bad, the acting is terrible, uh, all the twists were easily predictable, but just the fact that sharks were on screen in a movie just is naturally going to make me want to pee like, my pants. The, the sharks evolved to where they don't need their sight, but they're really good at hearing. 
Oh, that sounds convenient for the plot. Oh, there's so many things convenient for the plot. Like, the fact that nobody just drowns except... Well, okay, one girl what does, What about the but... boombox scene? How can we not address the boombox scene where it's like, uh, why aren't the sound waves distorted by the water? I don't know how boomboxes work in the water. I'm just taking you at your word that boomboxes don't work underwater. I, I just I just have that uh, Josh from Drake and Josh meme stuck in my head where you're like, I do not control the rate at which lobsters die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do not control the rate at which sound waves wiggle. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Well, uh, my number five, we're now in our bottom five. My bottom five is another film that I saw without you. Uh, it's Lucy in the Sky uh, from Noah Hawley, the showrunner of Fargo and Legion on FX and starring Natalie Portman. Uh, this movie, just the biggest issue with this movie is that I don't know what the hell this movie wants me to think about Natalie Portman's character. Do I, am I supposed to feel bad for her? Am I supposed to be cheering her on? It's, it, it clearly. Those diapers. <laughs> yes, those are missing too. Uh, I, I don't understand what the movie wants me to think about this woman and with Natalie Portman clearly giving it her all and the fact that the only thing I could really take away from this movie is that this woman goes crazy because she goes into space once and her mind is so blown away by it and she wants to go back into space so badly that she goes to all these extreme means to go back into space again uh, that she just destroys her home life, has affairs, uh, ruins her professional career. Like, and the fact that I'm not supposed to know if I feel bad for her or just laugh at her because she's a psychopath. coming up to you in the movie and just being like, so how do you feel? I don't know. I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to feel bad or not. Like, I just, I, but Natalie Portman is giving it her all. Like, she's playing a woman on the edge for sure, but. What do you want me to take edge. away from this movie? This just ends up being just kind of a drag to sit through because, uh, yeah, Noah Halley's got stylish direction and it's shot pretty well, but I just – I have no connection to this character whatsoever, and I just – I had nothing to take away from this movie other than I lost two hours of my life. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> – I love you, Noah Halley. Please give us the new Fargo season with Chris Rock as soon as possible. I just skip Lucy in the sky in the meantime. <laughs> All right. My, uh, my number five, it was my, uh, I would say kind of first, cause I, I'd seen bits and pieces of some of the other movies, but first look at this franchise that Dan loves and man, I'm sorry. This is the movie you got X-Men dark Phoenix. Oh, that's heard. This was, that's my next pick. That's dark my number four. <laughs> dark phoenix uh is a bird that catches on fire and then it just continues burning and then it never wakes up and it just dies and it's on fire and it's depressing oh dark phoenix is such a piece of crap oh my god i the fact that disney decided to let well fox the facts that the fact that fox not only allowed the the saga to end on this big of a uh, just this big of a bad movie but the fact that they also let 
Scott Kinberg, who was a credited screenwriter of X-Men Last Stand that also target uh, tackled this and also really missed the mark. Just, oh, let's give him yeah, another how shot. Times, how many times are you going to screw up the same story, man? Oh, yeah. Oh, well. You know uh, what? You know what didn't work last time? The exact same thing I want to do this time. What? Why? Why yeah, let's let him changing it a bit, but let's let him write this again and direct it. He's not bound to screw this up twice, and he made an even worse movie. And it's 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 burning to the ground. He just turns around and looks at me. He's like, "Why did you let me do this?" Oh, it's the epitome. Me, uh, sorry, it's the epitome. epitome. <laughs> it's the epitome of the meme of the dog sitting in the house on fire, just like, yeah, this is fine. Except the house is levitating, and then she, like, screams and blows it up, and then, like, sh- throws her friend into, like, a, like, a piece of shrapnel, and her friend bleeds to death and dies. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> she does. Yes, she does. I just, yeah. I. Man, I can't believe how much, uh, uh, I can't remember the actress' name, but Mystique and then the other guy were just checked out of this movie. Oh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Michael Fassbender. Oh, dude, they've been with the... Holy crap, they didn't care. Oh, yeah, no, they've been with the franchise since 2011 with First Class, and, oh, it's very, very apparent that they just weren't taking a paycheck. They seemed so checked out of it that I was... I wouldn't have been surprised if they're like, I want my character to die, and so they, like, pulled out, uh, like, an actual gun, and they're like, shoot me with this. They're like, what do you mean? They're like, well, if I'm dead, the character's dead. They're like, what? Like... Man, they did not want to be there. Oh, no. Jennifer Lawrence, I read that she specifically asked for Mystique to get killed off in this movie so she didn't have to be in any other uh, any other movies. Like, sorry, spoiler alert, but you shouldn't watch this movie anyway. But um. <laughs> she's she's standing she's standing there like the Joker holding a holding a machine gun. She's like, come on, come on. I want you to kill me. I want you to kill me. Oh, yeah. No, she she was obviously very checked out with how her character played out in the film and and then uh, how, and then how the movie ends exactly like avengers endgame oh my or, god uh, avengers the, infinity war well when we found out that the rumors that or no it wasn't it wasn't endgame it was captain marvel like when we yeah, found that out the original ending of this movie was captain marvel and i think i called it well the fact that they before they, we found out officially well, no, they had to reshoot this movie because they were going to use basically the scrolls, and then they showed up in Captain Marvel, and they caught wind that Captain Marvel was going to come out first, and was like, oh, whoa, crap, we can't use the scrolls, and literally copied the same ending. Like, So it's, it's the scrolls. And, yeah. and then someone's like, yo, scroll, drop it hard, and they're like, uh, yeah, they're d- talking. Yeah, oh my god. I... <laughs> I got Hollywood. I, I'm I'm free to write for money. Yeah, I I got nothing else to add. Like I just I agree with you. This was for me especially the fact that so th- this, this is, is one of my four. Yeah, it's my number four. It's it's one of my favorite superhero franchises. I've been through all the ups and the downs, and this is right there with X Men Origins as like the ultimate down. So um, I've been through the ups and downs, and. This was absolutely one of the ultimate downs along with X-Men Origins. So um, with that being my number four, um, what's your uh, number three? 
No, my number my number four because it was my number five. My number four is Men in Black Internationally Bad. Uh, the one blemish on my championship weekend in St. Louis. This movie sucked. Wait, I, uh, you said that? Hold on, I you said that? All ass to get. You said that's your number three. No, it's my number oh. four. Uh oh, sorry. Okay, never mind. I got our list mixed up. Um. Yeah, because you you just said your number four and you started. This is my number four. Yeah, you know, Dark Phoenix was my number four, so, yeah. Yeah, because we doubled up, because uh, it was on both our lists. So, uh, but yeah, this was, I had to, I had to haul ass across <laughs> across St. Louis to get to my theater in time to see this, because I was at a restaurant, and uh, my phone time zone glitched. It was telling me I had to go see my movie in ten minutes, when really I had an hour and ten minutes. Uh this movie was so boring. There's no chemistry between the uh, two leads. Uh, the story's stupid and predictable, and nothing about this movie really feels like it deserved to be made. Um, I can't stand watching this movie. I was so bored. Luckily, the theater was comfortable, but uh, and honestly, that theater was pretty cool. I still recommend anyone checks them out in St. Louis. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it is across the street from the National Blues Museum. Uh, so that, that place was pretty cool, but other than that, yeah, man, this movie sucked, it was dumb, it was boring. I remember, like, telling you for weeks, I was like, this is gonna be a terrible movie, and you're like, no, I think it's gonna be good, and I'm like, Dan, I'm, I'm telling you, it's gonna be awful. And then when it ended, you're like, yeah, okay, you were right. Yeah, my next film is MIB International also, um... <laughs> <laughs> I I 100% agree. I hate this movie so much. This I full disclosure, I have been grappling with this my number 2 and my number 1 with what I was exactly going to rank them because I really despise all three of these films equally. I I can I could not decide if um for a little bit, this was going to be my number one, but then it would drop down and then it would go up again. Um, hold on. Can you mute that? Oh, but yeah, like I was saying, I, I, I couldn't decide if – like week to week, I couldn't decide if this was going to be my, my number one, my number two, my number three, but right now – Officially, this is my number three. I – man, I I mean I'm not the biggest fan of the Men in Black films in general, but to surmise it for this little segment that we're doing, the fact that this film alone completely eliminated any chemistry that Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson had after Thor Ragnarok and made them just feel as robotic and staged and just as in compatible as possible along with it's really really dumb story it's really bad visual effects and just everything just felt so lazy and haphazard and money grabbing this was horrible to sit through i actually was way more interested in the guy sitting next to me with his cell phone on checking his emails i was way more interested <laughs> in that than anything that was happening on with this movie i it is my number three, though, so I kind of can't wait to talk about my top two. <laughs> well, my number three, I know, is in your top two. Uh, Curse of La Llorona. Uh, Yep, yes it is. It's my... Is that your number two? Yeah, it's my number two. Um... 
<laughs> I man, I hate this movie was my number one up until very, very recently. This this was the bar for the worst movie of the year. Yeah, it was uh it was ridiculously stupid and loud and noisy. Uh to me the dumbest part of the movie is when uh they go to the one guy and they're like, We need your help. We were told you're the only guy that can help us. And then two scenes later, they're belittling what this guy is telling them to do to help get rid of the demon. Like, why, why is that the behavior you're doing? Um, I I couldn't stand watching this movie. I found it uh, just like I, I remember you text me going, you're probably going to fall asleep watching it because I was actually really tired that day. And I, uh, I, I sat through it, and I was like, there's no way I was going to fall asleep because it's the loudest freaking movie of the year. Uh, the two, I remember the two ladies that just, like, got up in the middle of it and were like, I thought it was going to be like this. And they're like, no, I thought it was going to be like this. And they're, like, arguing with each other of what the movie was supposed to be like as they left an hour early. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I... Yeah, this movie sucked. It's... It, it it it's one of those movies where like I really haven't seen that much of the Conjuring universe to begin with, and this movie did not make me want to see any more of it. That's funny because we ended up seeing another Conjuring film like a month after this one, um, <laughs> and that was okay. Like it was okay. It wasn't fantastic, but it was okay. Yeah, Annabelle Comes Home was not bad. Um, not great, but it was not bad. But yeah. This is my number two, and it was going to be my number one for the longest time because this was the first movie during 2019 that I left so upset and angry and disappointed. And just I remember at first texting you like, yeah, you're going to fall asleep through this because this movie just is – well, I can't say what I texted you because it's explicit, but um, (laughs) I – It's an animal and it's poopy. It was so bad, man. It was. I it did. This was honestly like, like I know I have two more to go through. This was one of the hardest movies to sit through, just because, like, cat. Uh, well, I know it's I know it's gonna be on your list and it's gonna be on my list. Like, my one of our upcoming ones. Like, yeah, it was a terrible CGI mess and you couldn't make sense of the story and a lot about the movie was bad. But at least it didn't give me a headache. And, like, Captive State, uh, which, guys, you know it's coming up at some point. It's it's in my top two. Uh, Like, that one didn't give me a headache. This one gave me a headache. Like, at at least those two movies were pleasant to sit through. They were just weird as hell and confusing. But this movie just was like some kid sitting behind you with firecrackers – Lighting them off behind your head and then smacking them with a trash can lid. Yeah, that's not a bad way to describe jump scares in this movie. I and also, also, why on earth did you take this out of Mexico? And well, why did you take it out of Mexico? And then why did you set it with a family that has Mexican heritage in their blood? And have nothing remotely culturally relevant to it. Like, I I mean, yes, you – I mean, well, I don't know what the kids were, but Linda Cardellini, as far as I know, is not. And then it had um, – Yeah, like they have they have that one family of the two Hispanic kids, and 
and the and the mom, and then like they just abandon that whole storyline about fifteen minutes into the movie after Lyrona kills them. Like, other than at the end when she comes in like Rambo, but yeah, dude, it, it felt so. It it gets rid it 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 so unnecessarily gets rid of the cultural relevance, which is a large part of the story. It it did the same thing that the Grudge did for this for the Japanese cultural aspect of the grudge like the fact that la llorona i mean that's just one part of the reason this movie's utterly garbage um there's no cultural like authenticity to this film none of the acting is any good all the scares are very predictable and none of them are scary whatsoever they're all incredibly lazy jump scares um nothing remotely interesting happens at all with the ghost like you have this really creepy setup, like the fact that like she is a spirit of a woman that went insane and drowned her kids and then instantly regrets it, but she can't move on to the afterlife, so she's going around killing other kids, like trying to replace them to uh, to get her kids back. Like that's kind of scary, but yeah, I just everything about the film. Every single decision it made throughout the runtime was either lazy or boring, not scary, or laughable. Like, I laughed unintentionally many times during this movie, even though at the very end of it, when I texted you, I was just mad. And I was just like, dude, F this movie. This is one of the worst films I've seen this year. You are definitely going to fall asleep during this. Like... This was the first time I actually saw Dan get mad at the show. Oh, yeah. No, I was not in a good mood after I saw this movie because I had to <laughs> – I was still living in New York at the time, and I had a whole commute to go through after it. I was like, I just sat through this crappy movie, and I'm going to get home. Like, it still takes me two hours to get home, and <laughs> <laughs> I just – man, I – I mean, listen to our review for, like, more, like, immediate, like, in-the-moment thoughts of it, but I I just... That movie sucked. Yeah, La Llorona, I... That movie, that movie was abysmal. It's one of the worst creative things I've seen in a long time. Yeah, just... Uh, yeah, keep. So, my number yeah. two, I know, is your number one, by the way. Oh, your number two. Yeah, Cats. Oh, yeah. Nope, sorry. That's, we're going to jump the gun. Cats is my pick for the worst film of the year, and... Um, it's my second worst of the pi, year. Oh, pi oh my. I, it took a lot to... Um, it took a lot for me to think that something was worse than Curse of La Llorona, but Cats did it and then some. This movie was so bad, we almost left. And we went to separate screenings. Well... <laughs> like... We both at like the at the same time frame got up. Apparently, got up, went to the bathroom, and had the thought of, you know, if I just give him my ticket back, I could probably get my money. Well, well, you did. I <laughs> I was on a list, so um, my ticket was covered. But no, I definitely, <laughs> I I I thought about texting you while I was watching the movie, just like, oh my god, I have to give Nick a heads up with this movie. <laughs> but. <laughs> What about when I was in the movie theater and I just got up, went to the back, made sure that no one was behind me, turned my volume off, turned my screen all the way down, and put it on night vision, night mode so that it was extra dark, and then just texted you throughout the movie, just like, what is this? Why is this happening? What is this fever dream? I don't know what this is, and why is uh, 
why is the one cat the evil cat and why don't they like this other cat oh dude i when you texted me i was so happy that you did just like oh my god i can actually text nick some nick in real time while one of us is watching this movie like the first text you sent me the first text you sent me was what the hell is happening and i replied back honestly i have no idea what happens in this movie for the first hour that, dude, the only reason I was interested in seeing this movie, I thought it looked like garbage, but I was at least like, I want to learn what the story of Cats is. I've heard so much about this musical, I want to know what the what the story is. And then we watched the movie, and I feel like I knew even less about the story, which I was like, I didn't know anything. How do I know less after watching it? No, this movie is a a visual nightmare with horrendous CGI, terrible acting. Very bizarre cinematography and choreography and really just the most nonsensical plot I've seen in a movie in a very, very long time. And my god, like, obviously it's coming from a famous property, so they're not just going to scrap it or just send it to Netflix, but um, I, I have a hard time imagining if they could have sold this to somebody if – the executive they pitched it to actually watched the movie. <laughs> it is like I said, they could have they could have honestly watched this movie and went, you know what? Let's just do mankind a favor and destroy all copies of this print. Oh my god, the fact that but no, they chose they chose not the to. fact that as of this taping, you could go see the movie again and have like a patched like brand new cut of the movie with apparently updated visual effects and the fact you could actually see your money contribute to doubling its box office (laughs) oh dude no oh well that's being generous like this movie this movie when it debuted well it would go from 10 to 20 dollars so uh you know when this movie debuted it literally made not even seven million dollars at the box office like (laughs) this movie's a dumpster fire that lost a crap load of money and they decided to just throw more money into the pot because why not? Like, we've already lost this much money. Let's just lose more money. Like, <laughs> it just, man, yeah. it is hard to look at this movie. Boy, howdy, was that was that weekend fun. Uh, Dude, it is so hard to. Following, following up the confusion I had after Rise of Skywalker by going to watch this movie, I was like, at least I understood what happened in Rise of Skywalker. It is objectively hard for me to look at this and not just name this the worst film of the year. Like, every – all the other nine – Do you want to know why my number one is Captive State? Oh, okay. Um, let me let me just finish my thought real quick. I just – it's hard for me to look back at the year personally at the other nine films that I've passionately been very not favorable towards and just – um, not put cats above them. I I said it in the review, and I'll say it again here because I think it's I I think it summarizes my personal thoughts very well. I thought when I saw Pink Floyd the Wall, another musical movie based on a famous uh musical property, was a religious experience for me. I think that Cats was a punishment for Viking movies. It made you think there was no God. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> um, so, Nick, cap this off. Uh, you said Captive State, right? Yeah, Captive State's my number one only because uh, 
watching or think thinking back to when we first watched these movies cats is horrendous but at least cats i knew i had something to talk about captive state was so bad i text the first thing i texted you was we need to come up with a backup plan (laughs) (laughs) it's so it's so bad i didn't know what to talk about um and the fact that i actually like it was a running joke what i talk about it for like three straight months the reason I stopped mentioning it, mentioning it in episodes is I forgot what happened in the movie. Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, it's it is it is some of the worst camera work, the dumbest CGI, some of the wor- some of the hardest to follow story. I, I I left the movie. I literally didn't learn a single character's name in the movie. Um, it it was one of those ones where like I I don't even really know like what what could have been done to make it a better movie because it didn't really feel all that original but yeah it it was like the third the third week of the show and man it stuck with me uh i hated the movie i don't look i i will i i'm not saying i will never watch the movie uh but i i really don't ever want to see this movie again uh it's it's almost impossible to follow i don't know what's happening i don't know any of the characters i still like I mean, I know that John Goodman blows up Chicago, but at the same time, I'm like, so was it shower gel or was it explosive gel? Uh, it, it's just impossible to follow. I don't know who the characters are. I don't know what's going on in the story. I don't know what story we're following because there's three. You didn't know if the if the girl, the one guy was having sex with, was his sister or his girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh I don't know. If, I don't know if John Goodman's got shower gel on or explosive gel on. It's just you can't follow anything, even something as obvious as that. Definitely is not his sister. You can't figure out in this movie. It's so bad. Like I like yeah. Cats. Cats. cats uh, I I just think I think what it was is the, it didn't translate to a movie very well. Like it's not adaptable to a movie, and the CGI was bad. Captive State, I saw as just objectively worse filmmaking. That's, I think that's fair. I mean, there's a lot of aspects of the film that um, I would wonder, like, if they had a bigger idea that they just kind of compromised. But at the end of the day, what they gave us on screen just doesn't work. It's utterly forgettable yeah. and, uh, yeah, just not a good movie. I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's all I got, man. That's my ten. Yeah, that's my ten too. I don't have any honorable mentions. Do you have any honorable mentions? Uh, Hellboy. Uh, <laughs> Hellboy. Actually, let me look at some of yours because some of my. Hellboy, where'd you go, Bernadette? Uh, Angel has fallen. Hardcore Angel has fallen. Almost made the list. Oh, Angel has uh, fallen. Okay, I'll I'll retroactively make this, that one. I actually I'm... thought this. Li- I thought that this list was actually harder to make than uh, uh, the best of the year list. I'm a hundred percent the opposite. I found this list very easy to make. Um, <laughs> All these ten films that I picked stood out very clearly in my mind as the ten worst. Yeah. Yeah, I, I 
hated it. <laughs> I hated these movies. So that's all I got. Yeah, I, I'd only say Angel Has Fallen is my only honorable mention since you brought it up. But uh, but yeah, that's – listeners, that's all we got for you. That concludes our lists of 2019. So with that, Except maybe we're going to take machines. a very brief <laughs> – oh, right, 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 of course. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll let you know if we touch base on Time Machine films. But – until then, up next, we are going to be talking about the first film that we saw in theaters, the Sam Mendes Golden Globe Award-winning film, 1917. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Nick and I went to the theaters twice, and the first film that we saw just last week won a Golden Globe for Best Film Drama, as well as the Best Director Award at the 2019 Golden Globes. It is Sam Mendes' 1917. Sam Mendes, as you might know, uh, is the director of the James Bond film Skyfall and won an Oscar for Best Director for American Beauty. And he has brought us arguably the most commercial and biggest film about World War One in a very, very, very long time. The film itself stars um, primarily two leads along with a lot of cameos from other British actors that I'll list later. Uh, but the main characters are played by Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay, uh, Dean was uh, one of Cersei's sons in Game of Thrones. Uh, for those of you that uh, know the show, near the end of the run, he was the one that jumped out the window. Um, <laughs> and uh, George McKay was, uh, he's primarily, I would say, known for being Viggo Mortensen's son in Captain Fantastic. So, oh, Nick... We both got out of this movie literally less than half an hour ago, and I, I'll just go ahead and start by saying that this movie's excellent. This movie is absolutely excellent. Um, I'm, uh, I try not to be hyperbolic or anything when we get out of movies, like, and tape immediately after it, but um, if we made our best of the year list <laughs> uh, when – like, right now, just after seeing this, this would probably have kicked the Irishman off at number 10. I don't know where in the top 10 it would have landed, but I'm sorry, the Irishman, you would have fallen out of the top 10. Um, there there were moments in the middle that I thought were kind of slow, and other moments that I kind of felt like this movie was kind of like Call of Duty World War One, where... Um, I wasn't really connecting with the guys as much as I think the film wanted me to, but... I gotta ask, when's the last Call of Duty game you played? Uh, Modern Warfare 3, when I first got my PS4 when I was still living in Florida. Um. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's nothing like a Call of Duty game. <laughs> okay, of, well, of I... I honestly, I have I haven't actually got a Call of Duty game since World War 2, and World War 2 was the first one I got in like three years, but... Yeah, this is not like a Call of Duty game. 
Okay, well, I mean, from I'm this is not a video game podcast. I'm the, the least the closest qualified thing person. to making it a Call of Duty game is just the uh, the airplane part. Okay, well, I, I still. Okay, well, let me finish my clearly ill-informed take on like parts I didn't think worked that well with the movie. I think when it just kind of meanders and just I, I I get what it's going for. It's letting the atmosphere. And just these two guys, like, just getting to know these two guys, like, I get what it's going for. I just, I didn't feel like I connected with the movie that well, um, while the camera's just kind of hovering, and it's all about maintaining this aesthetic of emulating the one take, which, um, I mean, this is the genre to do it for. I mean, when you do it for a movie like this, or gravity or like something where like the spectacle of the event itself consuming the characters is bigger than what the characters themselves are emotionally going through sure i mean not that gravity was a single take movie but there were many many long takes in that movie there weren't that many cuts in it but um outside of like in the middle like the way the movie like starts and especially the way the movie ends uh I, I didn't text you this, but um, I was texting one of my friends in New York about this. I I was very close to, like, not just crying. I was very close to weeping during the last 15 minutes of this movie. Like, the way it managed to all come together just really, really got to me. And Sam Mendes and the legendary, amazing uh, Robert Richardson did a spectacular job constructing this film to this climax that is absolutely overwhelming and emotional uh for the characters um i think it's a great great movie uh it's a great war movie it's a great dramatic film even with its faults kind of in the middle um i have no hesitations in giving the sprinkles um i just want to talk about spoilers really i i I don't want to beat around the bush because there's a lot of spoilers to talk about uh nick what did you think of this movie i liked it but and I give it sprinkles, but Jesus Christ, man, calm down. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still God, in a state I, of shock I, I, from I'm that ending. I'm not kidding. The credits rolled, and I was like, I'm going to listen to Dan orgasm about this movie for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it, guys, it's really good, but yeah, man, chill out. It's just a movie. Okay, well, I clearly liked it more than you did. Um... No, I loved it. I really did. I'm just saying, like, damn, dude. I, it's, uh, that's why, like, sometimes I like to have a little bit of space, but at the same time, you all get to hear Here, me okay, in a... here's, here's the thing. I agree. It, it, it is one of the better ones. I, I technically, you know, for the list that we have to do at the end of 2020, this has to go on the 2020 list, because that's when we saw it and reviewed it, but... Yeah. Uh, or, well, it'll, oh, it'll make, uh, it'll make, it'll make my top 10. I don't know where it will be, uh... But it'll make my top ten. Um, oh, I'm. I thought I'm not it gonna... was a. I thought it was a great. It, it's it's one of the great uh, recent war movies. Um, funny enough, it doesn't. It, you know, it's not a war movie that really pushes an agenda. Uh, it's just like this is what the soldier's life was for like eight hours. Um, but yeah, holy crap, dude! Like. <laughs> It's a movie, not, I, not the cure for AIDS. 
Well, I the only thing I'm going to contend at this moment before I fl- throw up the spoiler flag is I'm not going to put this on my 2020 list strictly because this was a carryover from 2019. Like this was meant for us to be seen in 2019, so they should have released it more than three theaters. It's a I, it's a 2020 movie to me. Well, Just Mercy is going to have the same caveat then because that was also released limitedly on Christmas just to qualify for right now's award season. So have fun not being able to put it on a on a list at the end of the year then. So you can't talk about it anymore. Oh, they're so uh, uh, okay. They're they're so arbitrary anyway. But um, (laughs) but anyway, I just um, uh, do you want to go ahead and throw up the spoiler flag? Because I mean, I kind of want to. Do you? um, Oh yeah, I give it sprinkles. Uh, it's it's great. Uh, it's um something that I think it does really well due to the uh one shot nature is it it can't. It can't get overly theatrical with its shots, so uh, you get a really good uh, feeling of uh, claustrophobia in it, which is uh, which is interesting uh, given that it's largely trench warfare. So your view when they're in the trenches is basically all you can see in a trench because if you stick your head up, it's a death sentence. So it's. I thought I, I found that very interesting and, and it made me feel very claustrophobic. There's a level of intimacy that comes with um, the nature of trying to do things in one take and through either one or in this case, two characters point of view that um, that. Yeah, no, you're right. Doesn't come with um, other movies that broaden the scope and try to like sell the epicness like there's a, there's that lack of intimacy when you're watching like lord of the rings or well dare i say avengers endgame um there's that focus that makes it feel more personal and feel like um because you're so connected to the the point of view character um it just it just naturally will feel more intense and feel like you're there with it and in the hands of a director this talented um uh did you see skyfall or american beauty by the way did, have you yeah, seen I a, love skyfall. Uh, you didn't see american beauty though uh is that the one uh where he falls the guy falls in love with a high school girl uh not just a high school girl uh one of his daughter's friends no um, and not. it's played I not i did not see it yeah, and it's now uh, it's now very uncomfortably played by Kevin Spacey. Um, so yeah, we're um, listeners. We're not going to do that for the time machine anytime soon. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just what what I'm trying to get at is when it's when it's in the hands of a director as talented as Sam Mendes. I mean, these results are exactly what well presumably you should expect uh this film absolutely delivered um again very 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 minor hair splitting faults that i do have with it um if we did do a letter grade like it's the difference between an a and an a plus um i just i i give this film an a which qualifies as sprinkles in my book um for listeners that don't know our scale a 
phenomenal, excellent film that you should go see that's pretty much an outright masterpiece is a brownie pan with sprinkles and icing and the fixings on top. A pretty good overall film is a full pan of brownies. A so-so 50-50, kind of good, kind of bad, is a half pan of brownies. A pretty bad overall film is a single brownie, and then a dumpster fire is a movie that is so bad you do not get a brownie, you get a cookie full of raisins. So I guess with that, uh, that's our quick hot take on 1917. Uh, Check the timestamp for our reviews on Just Mercy and Fever Pitch if you don't want to hear anything else, because everything else is going to be filled with spoilers. Uh, Nick, where do you want to start uh, with dissecting this movie? I like uh, the start for once. Uh, the uh, the stu- <clears throat> the stuff in the trenches at the beginning, like the the build to get them to the front line and then into no man's land. Uh, God, that like I I know there's other stuff that's very intense, and I know a lot of people probably found other stuff more intense. That to me was the most intense part of the movie. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Because uh, you know the the other stuff in the story that's intense was intense because of the story. Uh, the this first part was intense to me just because of knowing like the history of what trench warfare was. That's what made it the most intense for me because it was like, man, you stick your head up at all. You're dead. Uh, I, like... Yeah, I I mean, I haven't studied World War, well, any World War as closely as you have, I'm guessing, but I, I definitely got that sense. Like, throughout the movie, I just got that sense that, like, every single shot counted, and, like, it just... Uh... Well, it... Trench, World War One was basically, they were using old war fighting techniques and strategies in a war that got modernized. Uh, they, like, that's the war where automatic weapons were first developed. Uh, it's where tanks were first developed. Uh, gas was developed and used in this war for the first time. Uh, there was a, there was a lot of, like, things that were first developed for World War One that were used, but they were still fighting, they were still fighting like it was just, you know, a war from, you know, say 30 40 years ago and it it really wasn't it was completely different uh they constantly fought for days over 500 yards and then they would lose that and then they would take it back and then they would lose that and they take it back uh, i remember hearing something about about uh soldiers in world war one like typically never like tre- like they they didn't advance more than like five miles or something like that uh and again i could be wildly mistaken with that statement but it was it was i remember hearing something like that uh just they did not cover ground because they were always like hunkered in and buried down you know compared to like world war ii and onward where it was it's much more you don't really dig in you move across you conquer the land and you uh, you move on. This one was like, hey, you just blow the crap out of everything and you dig in and then you just go pick off the survivors. Um, so, 
you know, the, the, you always like in history books and a, a book that I recommend uh, a lot. It's the one time I have have read uh, Johnny Got His Gun is uh, it's the book Metallica's song one was based off of. But um, it takes place in World War One uh, and it does a very good job of painting a picture of what fighting in World War One was like. But you always hear about, you know, you keep your head down uh and you know it, if if you stuck your head up above uh the top uh snipers would sh- you know shoot at people and if you and if you just went over the top in general it it was a death sentence so i found that the most intense was just the lead up of like are they really going to go over the top and then when they're walking through no man's land i was like i literally just sat there the entire time like Something's gonna blow up, or someone's gonna shoot. So like I like when uh, they when they got to the like a, a quote unquote abandoned German trenches, like not not that it wasn't intense the rest of the way. Cause this is a pretty intense movie the whole way, but it it just nothing topped that initial thing for me. Even when they got to the German bunker and it all collapsed after a rat set off the the, the bombs that were planted in there? No. Well, I, I, I put that with it. Oh, like, that... Like, their first part... Because once, once they get through, like, those... Tr- like, once they go over the top and they go through the German trench... Uh, they really don't return to trenches until the end of the movie. So I consider the the first part with the trenches where they go over the top, they go to no man's land and then they get in the German trench. Everything with that was the most intense thing. Once they basically after the collapse and once they get out and fire the flare, it wasn't as intense. Hmm. Okay. I, I, I do agree that the movie did a great job of like really emulating the the tightness, the claustrophobia, just that that really nasty just I mean primitive might not be the right word, but just that was the way they did it. Like and it was uncomfortable and there was the risk of getting sick and just everybody all clear together and just how about muddy just, like, it was accidentally too. snagging your hand on barbed wire and then as it's bleeding and trying not to get it dirty you have to crawl through the mud and then you accidentally uh put it through this dead guy's uh hole in his chest oh that oh that grossed me out so much oh my god i hated that moment that grossed me out so much um so it's but no, funny. I, <laughs> I can watch stuff like that easily no problem but the moment someone shows like a doctor like a video of a doctor doing surgery i get really squeamish and i can't watch it Oh, I can't watch any of that. Like, I just nope. I'm good. Uh, but I was what I was gonna say was I, I mean I I get World War One was like dirty and gross and all that, but good lord, like watching this and well, I guess two years ago now almost, uh, watching They Shall Not Grow Old, uh, Peter Jackson's World War One documentary, just how muddy World War One was. Like, well, you remember, dude. Do you remember in history class when we learned about trench foot? Oh, oh, yes. Now that I do. Now that you say the word trench foot. Um, ugh, ugh. 
I mean, if you want to describe it for the listeners. (laughs) What? I was saying, if you want to describe it for the listeners. uh... Uh, Wet rot (laughs) on your foot. (laughs) Basically, uh, because they wouldn't change out their socks and their boots, uh, their feet would decay while they were still alive and on their foot through infection. It was disgusting. Uh, oh my god! By the way, I I remember. Do you remember in uh, like our junior year when we did that unit on war in uh, American studies? We uh, we had to write down what we thought war was, and then we watched clips from movies, and then we had to write down what we thought war was uh, after watching it. And uh, the te- oh, and you uh, and you, <laughs> and you, I, fre- and you I basically... freaked the teacher out because he's like, "No, read the thing you wrote before," and I was like, "That is the thing I wrote before." Yeah, you basically <laughs> made our teacher like crap his pants. I, like <laughs> I made our teacher think I was clinically depressed because I wrote, uh, "War is uh, people people fighting and committing acts of uh, inhumanity and terror uh, amongst each other while trying to kill each other." Uh, even though they would never meet in a normal circumstance, just because people in people in uh, nice controlled situations far away from the front line told them to in, a, in an advancement of their career and their uh, determination to gain power. And <laughs> our teacher was like, "No, you're supposed to tell. You're supposed to say what you wrote before you saw the movie." And I was like, "That is what I thought." And he goes, "Oh, okay, Nick. That's depressing." <laughs> You're clearly ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a lot of horror, not horror. I watched a lot of war stuff when I was in high school. Yeah, you saved the horror movies for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I can bring out war movies if you want. Oh no, I'm I'm okay with spacing out. Well, I'm okay with spacing out the war movies. I mean, what? This is our only our second war movie after Platoon. Uh, I think so. Unless we're forgetting one, then maybe it's the third, but I think it's only the second. Well, we skipped Midway, and, um, oh, what was that guy's name? Uh, well, who was the, who was the lead character in Midway? Um. Oh, Dick Best. Yes. <laughs> that would have been really funny if at the end he's like, I'm looking for, uh, for Colonel Blake. Instead, he's like, I'm looking for Colonel Best, Colonel Dick Best. <laughs> That's like a Mo prank call in The Simpsons. Ah, uh, I'm looking for a Best, Dick Best. Is anybody in? <laughs> um, so, uh, when the, when they got the order and they were like, you have to go basically stop this. Um, I I like how uh they present it in this movie where they're where. They're they're like, hey, this is the mission. How long do you think it'll take you to do it? And they and like, he's like, wait, I have questions. And he's like, no, like th- it's just you do it. It it's the thing you do now. Yeah, I I don't care what your questions are. You just go do it. Um, yeah. In that scene, actually, um, not I'm not I'm not going to nitpick every single thing in this movie, like technically, but like there was that one shot specifically. Um, where he's the the general is breaking it down for them and um it starts out with a very obvious cut like i again i'm not going to break down every single moment where it's clear that the movie cuts and for me broke the one shot illusion but it starts like that because 
you no camera on earth can go from shooting outside yeah. to shooting at a pitch black uh bunker yeah uh without a cut um but uh oh in the general I will say, con I will first, say by as the a way. general audience member it actually was very good at hiding cuts but like the person that goes to a like one to two movies every single week in me was like okay yeah but that's where they cut but the general oh, moviegoer, the general moviegoer in me was like, wow, they're actually blending this into one shot pretty well. Here's a general, here's here's some clear cut signs for when a scene is actually cut in editing. Whenever you go from drastically different lighting, a la outside to indoors, whenever a building or a majority of the screen is obstructed by some sort of physical object being a wall or a car or a group of people, there's probably a cut in there. Or when the camera pans up to the sky or the camera lingers on nature or – I mean there's just a lot of little things when you're not looking at your main character. If something is obstructing your view, there is probably either a cut or some CGI uh, insert that – allows the editor to go from one take to the next. Yeah. But again, no, this you're you're right. This movie did blend it together pretty damn well. Yeah. But just me just the film snob for for Yeah, that's what uh, I was getting at. It's like the <laughs> the tiny film snob in me. Like I was like, okay, that's where it is. But like the general moviegoer in me is like, I completely see why this would make, you know, just a normal person think it's one shot. Um, oh well, except except for the one, the one. Well, I, again, it's uh, it's very much merited for what happened in the plot, but there is only one. Out. Yeah, that was yeah. the only deliberate cut in the film, but the story merited it, in my opinion. So so they get they get the but orders. It, they get oh the, oh, sorry, I didn't I didn't finish what I was gonna say. Uh, uh, the the one thing that was cool once they got into the bunker was I really liked. And there's a lot of times where the movie did this, where the camera like was looking at Colin Firth, the first of many very famous British cameos in this movie. It's like behind the two of them, and it's on the general. And then he turns around, and the camera goes over his shoulder, and you see the map. And then the two guys, uh, the two soldiers, uh, walk on the other side of the table to look at the map too. And then the camera pans up and looks at them. And then they're basically facing the camera, walking to it, and the camera, like, through their perspective, leads them out of the tunnel. But us, as the viewer, are, like, ahead of them and watching them leave the tunnel before the camera turns around. There's the bright flash, the obvious cut, and now they're outside. Like, little things like that I do appreciate, like, to create that illusion. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. So so they, they get the orders. They... Uh, they march from one end of their trench to the other end. They find the guy that the uh, general told him to find. Uh, I love that guy. I-, I love that, you know, the military in movies, they're always like, yeah, our leadership is always, you know, oh, we got to get this done. And always, like, always, like, so chipper. And then it, they're always wrong because the people that they put in charge, they're always so pessimistic. Um Oh, are you talking about? Are you're talking about now the second guy that said shoot the flare when uh, you get through this if you survive? Yeah, he said shoot if you get through this, shoot the flare. But also, if you get shot after you shoot the flare, can you throw it back? Because we hate losing these. 
Oh, that was probably my favorite um, little cameo in the film. That guy was uh, Andrew Scott. Uh, he's known for being uh, Moriarty in Sherlock, and um, he was just in this last season of Fleabag. And uh, you're, I completely agree with you. He was fantastic in the role of just like he's so checked out, like he's so war torn and he's, beat down, like he just does not give a crap he's anymore. So, he's so just survive and get home, like. Just, oh like, yeah, he, yeah. Try and win, but you know, live. Um, yeah, but, he was he was fantastic. Yeah, but uh, so they do they they find him. They get their they get the stuff that they're supposed to get, and they they go over the top. Uh, they go into no man's land. Uh, this, um, how long would you say it was? Like ten, fifteen minutes? Where they're Dude, just my walking perspective... around no man's land. Uh. Wait, before they saw the general or after? Okay, they go over the top. Do you know what No Man's Land is? No, I, I, I'm trying to, like, once they go after that general. Yes, after go, they talk to him, they go over the top. The, the yeah. time between them going over the top and getting in the German in the German trench. How long would you say that is? Like ten, fifteen minutes. Oh, not 15, maybe maybe 10 at the most. Okay. It wasn't that long. These 10 minutes to me are uh, specifically the most suspenseful in the movie, uh, but also some of the, uh, I would say my favorite part of the movie, uh, you don't really see No Man's Land depicted in a lot, like Dan said, you don't see World War One depicted in a lot of movies, but you really don't see No Man's Land depicted in a lot of movies. And they did a fantastic job of making it really tense. And there's there's literally nothing happening except for them walking for like ten minutes. And the entire time, I'm expecting someone to shoot it, shoot them, something to blow up. Uh, I'm expecting half the dead bodies to move just because it's so tense. I'm like something has to happen. Um, this is this isn't this isn't Hacksaw Ridge though where. They find one dead body, and the do- dead body ends up being alive, and he goes, ah! and then the guy that finds him gets shot to death and turned into lasagna. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that so then they get in the German bunker or the German trench, and they're checking out a German bunker. It blows up, and then they they manage to get out of that. They shoot the flare to signify they live, and then they walk for a bit, and they find this kind of like abandoned farm. And as they're doing that, they see a couple uh, biplanes fly by, and uh, they're like, oh, they're, those are ours. I guess they're scouts or whatever. And uh, then they check out the house. They, they make sure it's clear. And uh, as they're doing that, uh, they see that the planes are back, and they're, fi- they're dogfighting with one. And uh, then they see it gets hit, and it, it crashes. And they rescue the guy in it, and when they rescue it, the first thing he's – or when he starts talking, he's speaking German. And what was your first reaction when he, you heard him speak German? Like, uh, what was your first well, instinct to do? Well, my – hold on. I just – I don't want to glance over, like, just in my theater, like, when they're watching the dogfighting before that, uh, once the first plane went down and it looked like it was just going to crash off in the distance – just because I've seen the trailer so many times. Yeah. When it went behind the hill, I was just like, <clears throat> just wait. And <laughs> and then it popped over the hill. And that was like 
my the one moment in the movie that I actually kind of laughed because I was just like, "Oh, you're in for it now!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, so so when he when he gets out and he's speaking German, what what would you have? What was your if you were one of the soldiers? What was your reaction to do? Oh, I would not have been as empathetic as um. Oh, I have their names up here. Um, I would not have been as empathetic as Blake. Yeah, uh, I would have I would have been like Schofield and just been like, oh, he survived. We got to get we got to put him out of his misery. Like I would not I, have. Yeah, my, I would my not first thought was the moment second. I heard him say anything German, I, I just went, oh, my God, shoot him now. Just yeah, no, just don't give him any opportunity, because the moment he realizes that you're speaking English, he's yeah. going to do whatever he can he's, to kill you. <laughs> as soon as he realizes you're not German, he's going to do, oh, exactly what he's doing and stab you in the th- in the uh stomach with a bayonet oh my god and yeah when not only is that revealed like off screen while he's trying while uh schofield is trying to get water dude the shot when blake is like holding his stomach and then he lifts his hands and his stomach just starts gushing blood yeah i ver i vocally just went <gasps> like i gasped yeah i just that was so it was bloody, but it wasn't like Kill Bill bloody. But like, it actually felt realistic. I mean, I haven't had that bad of a wound happen, thank God. But the the way that it just kind of felt like how blood would actually come out of somebody slow, but a lot, and just Did you you saw Black Hawk Down, right? Oh yeah, no, I I own to the me, director's cut. To me, cut. it reminded yeah. me of the of the scene where the guy. I think they have to pinch an artery in his leg. And then it slips out of the doctor's fingers and like that amount of blood. It was like, it was like, that's a lot of blood, but it's not excessive. Like that's, that looks like an actual, a lot of blood. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's a good comparison for sure. I just, yeah, I agree. And Um, just, can we call out how ballsy it was for this movie to kill him off? I mean, I don't know if it was at the halfway part or not even halfway into I this think movie. I it was a little less. Yeah, I, I'm not convinced it was halfway through this movie, but, like, the the gall it takes to pull that off I and th- just, I like, figured, nope, you're, we're, we're going to make this a one-man show. When it introduced him as two, I was like, okay, one of them is going to die, but they're going to die at the end. When when Blake did die, like I because it takes so it, it takes a while. Like, I mean, not to I'm not knocking the movie, but like there's a lot of moments that you get to breathe and mourn. But in that moment, I was thinking back on the trailers and I was just like, wait, do I remember Blake in anything after like what I've seen before in the trailers? Like I was thinking about things that I hadn't seen yet that are in the trailers. And I was just like, wait, I guess Blake wasn't really in the trailers that much like yeah and it dawned on me just like oh the marketing campaign completely hid this perfectly yeah. like and that was a great twist i i definitely didn't see it coming personally i like i said i i figured one of them would die i just did not think it'd be very early in the movie oh yeah for sure for it being par- let's just say a third into the movie to kill off what is established as one of your main characters and one of your point of view characters, man, just devastating, absolutely devastating. But that, that segues us into the second big cameo, uh, Mark Strong, 
uh, from uh, the Kingsman movies, uh, he ends up saving Schofield and starts taking him uh, in his caravan with everybody else. Yeah, what what did we see him in recently? Uh, the Kingsman movies. No, 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 like that we watched for the show. Um, I, oh, I, that's a great question. I'm going to have to Google that because I don't know offhand. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was, uh, uh, funny when after that he's like, hey, c- c- you know, I got, I have orders from the general. I got to get to, was it Piscuti? What was it? I have no idea what any of the town names are. Um, I can't. We're not I can't. French. Um. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was. Uh, oh, he was the villain in Shazam, by the way. Um, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was. He was the guy with the the shiny eye and yeah. uh, wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, but he tells him he's like, hey, I have orders. I got to get here. Uh, it's to call off the attack tomorrow. And he's like, okay, well, we're going through there anyway. And so he hops he hops in with uh, a, the caravan of trucks, and what was funny is when he hopped in there, uh, the scene reminded me of uh, Call of Duty. Uh, okay, so now Call of Duty comes into your mind? <laughs> yeah, but only because of a shot. Uh, I can't remember what I think it might have been Call of Duty Three. Um, but you ride in the back of a truck and then uh, explode – like you're riding to uh, – you're supposed to be far away from the front line. But it turns out the Germans made a push and the front line's not that far away. And uh, you're riding in the back of one of these trucks and then explosions start happening and you and you do a barrel roll. And I thought that was going to happen in this movie. As I was like, <laughs> Do a barrel roll. Yeah. Uh, but that scene where they, where they point out they're like – what kind of people shoot the cows, man? I was like, I like the one where the guy's like, man, we could have at least let them win and take this. My God, look what they did. That was like the one, that was the one moment that I thought worked the best when it was kind of slow. Like, I mean, I guess what I was alluding to in my hot take was, I guess I have more of a problem with, um, uh, I guess the woman that we'll talk about a little bit later, but um, and the moments where before uh, the guy died, like them just kind of talking whatever, like getting to know each other, and he's telling the stories about the poppy flowers. Like I was just like kind of okay, whatever. Like I it didn't resonate quite as well with me, but no, that conversation in the truck where they're talking about like looking at the devastation and like the, the, the remnants of like what war does that, that was very, very powerful. I thought it was great. Yeah. I, uh, I, I actually, I didn't mind all that stuff. What's funny is you, you are gushing so hardcore about the movie, but I think I liked it overall, but I didn't really have issues with it being slow. Like I, I took it to just be, yeah, that just happens when it's one shot because you can't just cut where it's like, oh yeah, they traveled, you know, for three hours. We we cut that out. But uh, I just it's it's there's it's it's just splitting hairs. Like for the little moments where the movie kind of slows down, like to establish like what the emotional stakes are. Like 
I they just they just kind of lingered a little longer than I kind of personally wanted. But when the movie clicked, like you didn't like the bunker scene as much as I did. I was gripping my chair during the bunker scene. No, I liked um, it. I just didn't find it as intense. But the, I'm just saying I'm just trying to point out like the differences like we both like different things in this movie to different degrees, even though overall we both love this movie like, yeah, uh, it's I just the when the movie like was more um, I'm trying to think the right way to phrase this like. I mean, I don't know. I was more into the movie when it wasn't as slow. I didn't think the movie worked as well when it was just Wait, interplay between the characters. You liked it more when it was an action movie and I liked it and I what I liked more was when it was dramatic to complement the action. I I, appreciate... I became you and you became me. See, there that's the thing though, when like I said in Bad Boys, a big dumb action movie versus a big smart action movie or a big well written action movie those are the kind of movies that have action in it that I like, like this. Like, I like – like, yes, we kind of did flip the roles a little bit, where <laughs> – which is pretty funny. Like, you like the slower moments mo more than I did, and I like the action moments more than you did. Like, <laughs> I'm not yeah. trying to – I'm not trying to jump the gun to the ending, but, like, I'm, I, I can't get over the last 15 minutes of this movie. Like, once well, we get there – well, I, I, you know, so so he's he's on the truck, and they basically get him to where they can take him, and they're like, well, the bridge is out. We can go six miles out of the way. He's like, nah, I'll just cross. And uh, he encounters a, uh, like, it's it's like the burned-down city that he's supposed to get to. And when he gets there, uh, the bridge that he crosses, uh, as he's crossing it, they start shooting at him. Uh, and he doesn't know, and the movie does a very good job of, giving you absolutely no way of knowing where the guy is like oh there the, are, the practical effects too the practical effects are, of well he gets he gets shot at like probably like seven times in this scene and there were two shots where i was like okay he's upper left and that's it like you, you couldn't see a muzzle flash you couldn't see like uh, a person standing anywhere like you, the like there was just two puffs of like the way that it puffed uh, uh, the debris. I was like, all right, it's coming from there. Yeah, I before he got behind the stairs, I love that tracking shot where it's just all like sparks. I don't know what the right word for what those are are, but like all those pre-planted little uh, kind of like not fireworks, but the little pop. Like they're all yeah. on the bridge already and they just choreograph it. So when you grab here, that one goes off. And when you grab here, that one goes off. Like, yeah, uh, that was uh, that was great. What was fun is so Kelsey was uh, really jumpy at every gunshot in this movie. And like this scene where they just keep shooting at each other. She's like, huh, huh. I was like, would you stop, please? Well, this was the most gunplay up to that point in the movie, too. Like yeah. the, the gunplay is really limited in this. Yeah, so uh, he goes in the house, at, or he, he shoots, he basically pins the guy down, and uh, he goes up in the house, and he opens a door to the room where he thinks the shooter's at to shoot him, and as he opens the door, the guy shoots him, and he shoots him at the same time, 
the German guy dies. Uh, he gets shot in the head. Not he gets shot. He gets a clean headshot to his helmet. Yeah, but it hit his helmet. He's fine. Um, but he falls. <laughs> he falls down and uh, down the stairs and uh, cracks his head open and gets knocked unconscious for we don't know how long, but it's at least till dark. It's probably it's probably like because it was still daylight out. It was probably like at least three, maybe four hours. Yeah. And then when he wakes up and he he goes through that town and he sees the burning building and then the one guy uh, sees him and starts chasing him down and shooting at him. Uh, and he, then he sees the French lady. At the end of seeing the French lady, it's uh, six in the morning. So I mean, he was out that for was... a while. The the French the French lady moment like I get what it's trying to do but I think that was the only scene in this movie that I thought dragged the movie the hardest like the 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 humanity and the the only thing I thought is why are you spending so much time specifically with her you're like you gotta go dude it want he he found an innocent civilian and. He, he's he's got compassion to like make sure she's okay willing to give his food to her and oh of course he got milk like uh and she's got a baby like i mean i it's not as bad as i'm describing that it right now but that is a fat like, baby that is a chunky chunky baby <laughs> but like the i'm not saying and i'm not saying that to put the baby down i just like holy crap that is a chunky ass baby <laughs> Put the baby back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, uh, can I make my Nick Cage casting to be the baby? Where, where, why is there so many noises outside? I need milk. <laughs> I need milk. I need milk like I need the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> I need the Treaty of Versailles. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so he he stops, sees this French lady, helps her out with her kid uh, that she just found, and uh, he then leaves. And th- dude, that scene where he was choking out the one German soldier in the building while the drunk one was throwing up outside. Oh, right when hold on before you saw the other guy when the first guy was throwing up, like I thought, like oh, this movie is like concerned with people's health in dealing with uh these horrid and very unclean conditions but then they no, go he in saw a picture si- of trench foot and he's like <laughs> but then he goes inside and he starts choking out the other guy and then soldier number one comes in and picks up a bottle in the background while the second soldier's getting choked out in the foreground is like oh okay that guy was drunk after all like <laughs> <laughs> but yeah dude that that scene where he has to kill those two guys holy crap that was intense uh, like, that was I. I'm with you. That the the one thing I thought was weird in that scene was when he like covers the guy's mouth and he goes, "Be quiet." And then he take and he shakes his head. And the guy shakes his head and then he takes his hand away. I was like, "Why? Why would you do that?" The, yeah, there was no reason to believe he was actually going to comply yeah. at all. Like, <laughs> so he kills he kills those two and he runs off and uh, he. As he's running away, he uh, falls in the river that the French lady told him to go to in order to get to where he needs to go to find the troops. And I can't believe that he lived through this, all the stuff with the with the river. Yeah, you would think there would have been like another like cut to black when he jumped 
down the or when he fell down the waterfall but like yeah if he can survive getting shot in the head i mean he's gonna survive the rest of this movie frankly like yeah. if you think about it like <laughs> so that so he get he gets he just takes himself out of the river after you know going through all the rough parts of the river and well he, he gets a, he's he's about to pass out in the river but then he sees the poppy flowers that uh his partner was talking about and that just gives him that second wind to use a runner's term he gets that second wind and realizes oh my god i'm almost there and he finds the battalion but yeah. it's not but then he realizes he's, that he's it's with not the companies and they're like oh we're the second wave and he just has that no they're the harsh moment of oh my god yeah they're the they're the last of presumably what through the alphabet four waves so he realizes oh my god i'm still late anyway yeah. And that this, if I may take the reins, this leads to my personal yeah, favorite say, part you of take the movie. Because this is the part you think is the best part. Oh, this is easily the best part of the movie for me. When he he realizes he's about to be way too late, and he's running through everybody trying to get ahead of D Company, and then he sees this new line of trenches, which, by the way, are just. Something about the fact that it's all white and it looks like pristine, like I, something about all the the rock walls being white just look fantastic. And he's just running through everybody. It's all basically like single file, and he's just going, "Where's um? I can't remember the corporal's name. Corporal uh, Corporal Michaels McKenzie. or whatever. Mackenzie, that's it. Where's Mackenzie? Oh, he's up there. Where's Mackenzie? He's up there. He's like three hundred yards away." Like, after going through, like, six different people, and then the last one says, oh, he's 300 yards away up there. What but about, we're about the one to send that the just stands battalion. there and starts crying? Oh, my God. That was heartbreaking. Like, when when he saw that guy crying, and then he stood up over the trench and saw, like, how far down 300 yards were. And the, the one guy that wasn't crying was like, you're never going to make it. What are you going to do? And he just – Get off my obstacle, private pile. Dude – Honestly, like at that moment between like him having to do this for the partner that literally died because he wanted to save his brother to then take that on himself and just I'm going to do this or die trying. And he just Leroy Jenkins the second the whistle blows and it is the most beautiful shot in the entire film that it starts in a close up and slowly pulls away while still following him running and just boom boom and like a hundred people are running uh adjacent to him and as we slowly pull back it's just more and more soldiers and more and more explosions and the score is just swelling too like oh my god i got so emotional watching that moment oh it was so great um so then he dives into the tunnels after running 300 yards and he's like where's mckenzie and he like Basically shoves a bunch of people out of his way, and he finds McKenzie, and it's played by uh, Sherlock's own Benedict Cumberbatch with a big scar on his face. And he's like, I have orders for you to stop this right now. And he's like, BS. No, I have orders for you to stop this right now. And he takes the letter, and he reads it, and a beat goes by. Call off the attack. Call it off. And so he calls – so the generals all call off the attack, and he just – he's the, – what, what he says to um, Schofield is just so depressing. He's just like, 
We get orders today to call it off. And we get orders tomorrow to attack at dawn. There's only one way this war ends. Last man standing. Go get your wounds tended to, soldier. Thank you. It just... Something about... it. That's all he's in this movie for is two minutes. But something about that performance was just so strong to me. Like... I mean, what did you think of Benedict Cumberbatch being Mackenzie, like, or, or anything that in this in the and that final sequence? Uh, to me, the best part of it was just him talking about, you know, we get our orders today, but I guarantee you, sometime next week they're gonna say do it anyway, and we'll all die anyway. Like that that to me was the uh, professional version of the guy at the beginning of the movie that was just like, dude, whatever, who cares? We're all it's war. Just do what you gotta do to live. Like, well, there's the contra- there's the contrast between all of them though, like like the way you just described, like Andrew Scott just doesn't care, and Benedict Cumberbatch is like still professional but cynical, but then Mark Strong in the middle, like he's still optimistic, he still is is like ready to carry out the mission, but then he's also aware when he lets Schofield go, be wary, soldier, some men just like the fight, like. It was I really liked, interesting. I did like that warning though when he told him he's like, "Hey, if you uh, if you do find him and you tell him the order, make sure there's people around because that way he can't ignore what you're saying." Yeah, that was a, that's just another part of like what I love so much about like that moment, and and then from there, um, he goes to the medical ward because um, this one general tells him, uh, "Oh, to find uh, Blake's brother." The the best I can tell you is go to the medical ward, and if he's not there, he's he's gone. So he's running around the medical ward. We see a bunch of oh grotesque war injuries, like not an extreme yeah, close up, uh, but good makeup. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, the, the the wounds were just. It's not that close up graphic, but you can still get a couple clear shots of legs missing and like entrails and just. Ugh, that's uncomfortable. All the while, while Schofield is just yelling, Blake! Blake! And then best, he finds... Best! <laughs> uh, but then uh, he he finally finds Blake, and he's played by another Game of Thrones actor, uh, Richard Madsen. Uh, he was Rob Stark, and he's got to deliver the news that his brother died, and like... For me, I was already really emotional during that 300-yard run, but when he doesn't even have to say it, he all he says was, I was with your brother, and then it's just silent, and his brother knows what happened, and he's just like, it was quick. And then he gives him his rings and the necklace, uh, I guess dog tags for what they were back then, and he just asks, can I write your mother? He was a great guy. I just uh, right in the feels, dude. That was absolutely heartbreaking to watch. And and then he just and then uh, Blake's brother says, "Go get some food. Thank you for doing this." And he just walks to this tree. I don't know what kind of tree it was. He walks to this tree. He sits down. He pulls out this tin that he keeps putting. He keeps taking in and out of his pocket throughout the movie. And then he opens it, and it's a photo of presumably his wife and child, and he flips the back of the photo. It says, come back home to us. He holds onto it, and it cuts to black. 
and the only bit of trivia I have is confirming who uh, the uh, the corporal was or general. I can't remember his ranking, but it says dedicated to um, this one soldier whose last name is Mendez, who gave us these stories. The soldier it is dedicated to is actually Director Sam Mendez's grandfather, who fought in World War One, and that's how the movie ends. And God, man, I love the last fifteen minutes of this movie yeah it's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> obviously the first half of the movie resonated more with you than it did me i guess um, yeah it uh <laughs> well what did, i mean what did you what did you take away once the movie was over or like do you have any thoughts on like the things that happened in the last half Anticlimactic is not the right word uh, because it, it it doesn't let me down. It delivers what I expect, but I I just find the beginning of the movie so much better. That's so that's so fascinating that like it's not I, again. I'm not digging on the first half of the movie. I think the first half this whole movie still deserves sprinkles. I just it's all very nitpicky things that I primarily find like in the first half of the film versus the last half of the film, and it all comes together and crescendos into um what it's building up to like this whole journey that we sit through for eight hours in story time but two hours in real time just i don't know just the payoff was worth the build-up to me where i was questioning like oh okay movie we're we're clearly building to something like what's it gonna be oh okay thank you like that was worth it i apologize for questioning you yeah (laughs) uh who is your uh who is your favorite of the four cameos um or i guess the four predominant characters i should say to you like Mm -hmm. um the bitter guy andrew scott yeah i i i I say him with a very close second place to richard madsen when he when we finally meet blake's brother just because i i really love that moment that they finally have to together even though it's a tragic moment but i love the way richard madsen plays that scene even though he's literally on screen just to cry like (laughs) um yeah like i said i don't have any other trivia to add to this like i usually do with well primarily time machine films but um yeah i know it's in the moment we saw this movie an hour ago but i this was one of the best films of 2019 and uh it's already set in stone. I can't retroactively add it to the list, but if you guys weren't able to see it in New York or L.A., it is now playing worldwide or countrywide, I should say. Um, absolutely go see it. It's fantastic. Um, I don't think it's deserving of the Golden Globe personally. I, it's not better than Marriage Story. Let's just put it that way. But uh, yeah, sprinkles from me, sprinkles from you. We are going to take a very, very brief break and – We will come back with our thoughts on the Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx legal drama, Just Mercy. We'll be right back. If you're not an absolute gore fiend, you should not watch this movie. Hellboy is – Hellboy is, uh, like I said, a chore to sit through. Dan had to edit himself there. (laughs) <laughs> for those of you 
for those of you that are listening, which is everybody, Dan started to say an F word, and then he's like, oh yeah, we have a rating. <laughs> yeah, yes, sorry, this movie, I, this, uh, sorry there's going to be a lot of, show. there's going to be a lot of edits in this, because these movies all make me very angry from Hellboy on. Um. <laughs> Two of them made Dan violently ill. <laughs> yes. It's like he walked um, in a Kmart and he just saw the floor and he's like, Bleh. 